Take your Bibles tonight and turn them back, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to finish what we started this morning. Thank you, brothers, for those songs. What a blessing they were. Y'all have just sung up a storm today and done a fantastic job leading us into the presence of God. I'm thankful tonight that the faithfulness of God is not dependent upon my performance, but it is dependent upon his person. Can you say amen to that? Because of who God is, he's faithful. Not because of what I've done. I've failed him many times. He never fails me. And I'm um, so very thankful for that this evening. <clears throat> now this morning, we begin looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And today I said we were going to answer the question, what hinders our holiness? And so this morning we found out what our purpose is as believers. Ephesians 2 and 1 tells us plainly that we have been made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. All of us were dead in our sins, spiritually dead, um, before Jesus. But when Jesus, by his grace and mercy, saved us, when we placed our faith in him, we went from being spiritually dead to having eternal life, abundant life in him. And we talked about today, or this morning, that um, he saved us not just to get us out of hell. Salvation is much more than just fire insurance. Salvation is more than just getting man out of earth and into heaven. Salvation is about getting God out of heaven and into man. And what a blessing that truly is. Um, we said this morning that our purpose, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29, is to become like the Lord Jesus. It has become now our destiny to be conformed unto the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me ask you something. When did that process begin? When did we start becoming like Jesus? Well, it was at the moment of salvation. At the moment you trusted in Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says you were born again into God's family. You know what the Bible calls the new believer? Babes in Christ. Amen? And from that baby stage, from being that new born-again believer, we are to grow on a daily basis to become more and more and more like Jesus. How many of you understand this is a growing process for each and every one of us? And like I told you this morning, none of us have arrived yet. We're all still growing to become like Christ. We're all still learning who he is and what he wants from us. We're all still daily becoming what he wants us to be. There's an old song that we used to sing in Sunday school. Do you remember it? He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and how patient he must be. Isn't that true? Because he's still working on me. Now we sing that when we were little bitty things, but I'm going to tell you there's a lot of good theology in that. He is still working with his people. He is truly loving and patient with us um, so that we might become what he wants us to be, he continually works on us. He's conforming us. He's making and molding us, shaping us into the image of Jesus. And I'm so thankful tonight that my God doesn't throw the clay away. Amen? He continually is at work on me, in me, and through me to make me into what um, he wants me to be, which is like his son Jesus. And, and I'm so thankful for that. What a blessing it is to be a child of the living God. And so then we looked at who Jesus is. And, and folks, let me tell you, when I figured this out, that my purpose was to be like Jesus, I'm going to be honest, that freed me up a lot. Let, let me tell you why. Because my standard is no longer what somebody else does or don't do. 
I don't judge myself by what somebody else does. I, I don't judge myself by what somebody else don't do. They're not my standard. Believer, let me tell you something. You need to get a hold of this. Your standard is not what somebody else does, how they feel they are to follow Christ. Your standard is Jesus himself. So if you don't measure up to what other people think you ought to be, don't worry about other people. They're not the standard. Listen, what they believe, that's not the standard. Let me tell you what we need to do. We need to get in God's word, his blessed truth, his absolute truth, and see for ourselves who Jesus is. Quit taking everybody else's word for it. See for yourself who Jesus is. Look, read on the pages of Scripture about how he loved others, how he gave himself for a lost and dying world, how he reached out to the least of these. Can you say amen? And see for yourself who Jesus is and then work to meet that standard. Nobody else is your standard. I'm not your standard. You're not my standard. He is our standard. So remember that. That'll free you up. That, that keeps us from getting, getting so legalistic and doing things out of tradition instead of out of what God uh, wants us to do. And, and so let's, let's look at who Jesus... First of all, we said Jesus is love. The Bible says God is love. Jesus was God in the flesh. He's the Son of God and God the Son. Jesus is love. He's the epitome of love. If you want to know what love looks like, just look at the life of Jesus. We said this morning, he didn't just tell us to love, he proved his love by going to a cross and dying for us all. He looked down at the men who had just put the spikes through his hands and through his feet and said, Father, forgive them for we know, they know not what they do. How was he able to do that? Listen, by the supernatural love that only God can give, only God's love can do that. Look down at the men who have just beaten you for no reason, who have just put you on a cross. And say, Father, forgive them. Folks, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't know that I understand the great depths of that love. I don't know that I ever will. But I want to know more about this Jesus. Amen. If he loves like that. And that's what we're called to do. If we're called to be like Christ, we are also called to love like Jesus loved. And that has to be done, again, through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I've got something that I want to show you, a video. I think a lot of times a picture is worth a thousand words. It really is. And so if you can see for yourself uh, what the love of Christ looks like, I think it will really impact your life because it has mine. If you remember last uh, Sunday, I know most of you do, many of you do, I'm sure, that in Cleveland, Ohio, there was a man by the name of Stephen Stevens. Um, who shot a 74-year-old 70, Robert Good, uh, Godwin. He shot him dead simply because um, he had had a fight with his ex-girlfriend. And, and what got it on national news is that um, he did this in broad daylight and filmed it on Facebook Live and put it all over the Internet. And, and so um, many of you have saw that this week. You've heard the news stories that goes along with it. And so tonight, I'm going to show you a video of Robert Godwin's daughters, what they said concerning the shooting. And, and listen to what they had to say. Go ahead, brother. Play that for me. Yes. Stop, stop it right there, my brother. Now, let me tell you what I love about this video. 
You see, these, this, is, this was done a day after their father was murdered. Do you see any hatred in their face? Do you see any animosity toward the man who has just shot their father? No. And look, Anderson Cooper, it's just like he can't believe it. They said, they said that he, they forgive him, and he said, you forgive him? Now, why did, why did he say, because that's not how uh, the world views things. They can't believe that someone would forgive another human being who has senselessly killed their father for no reason. But how many of you know, it takes the love of Christ to be able to forgive like these ladies are forgiving. To be able to, uh, listen, uh, say that they forgive a man who's done this to their father. Go ahead. Look at the smile on her face. I know that, you know, because of his sickness, whatever evil overtook him that caused him to do this to my dad, it's not him. It, it wouldn't be something he would typically do. And I promise you, I could not do that if I did not know God. If I didn't know him Hear that? as my God and my Savior, I could not forgive that man. And I feel no animosity against him at all. I actually, I feel sadness in my heart for this man. I do. Are you hearing that? That's fantastic. of a person can do that. The, the flesh, if, if you do somebody wrong in the flesh and you're operating in the flesh, or somebody, excuse me, somebody does me wrong and I'm operating in the flesh, I want to do them wrong. I, I want to have vengeance on them for what they've done to me. Here you have these two ladies walking in the love of Christ and saying, I forgive this man who just shot my father. Only Jesus can do that. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. Let me read it to you in Scripture. Keep your place there in Ephesians 2 and flip over to Matthew 5. We read one verse this morning and I want to read the, the, just a few more tonight. Verse 44. Jesus says, You have heard it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Verse 44 says, But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. The children of God show the love of Christ. And again, that's a supernatural work of the Spirit. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Now watch what he says in verse 46. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? I love this. He says, do not even the publicans. They do the same thing. The ones living in a sinful lifestyle. They love ones that do right by them. He said, but look at verse 47. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you, do you more than others? Do not even the publicans also. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What he's saying is... We are called as the people of God through the power of the Holy Spirit as God's children to love in a way like the world can't love. 
They don't understand it. You saw Anderson Cooper. He didn't understand it. That's the supernatural love that Jesus puts inside the heart of every believer. If Jesus loves, we ought to love. Can you say amen to that? He is our standard. We said this morning, Jesus is holy. And so we got to ask ourselves, how holy are we? Are we living lives pleasing unto him? Peter said it like this. You are to be holy just as he is holy. We saw this morning, Jesus is obedient. Even in the hard times, even in the tough stuff, Jesus fulfilled the will, that, uh, the purpose that his father had for him. We ought to do the same thing. We are called to be like Jesus. That is our purpose. I hope we see that from the word of God. Listen, make Jesus your standard. Don't make anybody else your standard. Just look in the word of God and see who Jesus is. Then follow that. Just do what he did. Now then, look at verse 2 in Ephesians chapter 2. We've seen our purpose. Now let's look at our problem. It's a problem that we all have and it's threefold. He gives us three problems or three things that bring us problems um, in our Christian walk in verses 2 and verse number 3. He says, we're in time past. You walked according to the course of this world. That's the first one. The course of... Of this world. He makes mention of the world. Now, anytime throughout the New Testament, when you see the word world, it can be translated three different ways. First of all, it can mean the physical world. Uh, we see that in the book of Acts, chapter 17, in verse number 24. The apostle Paul preaching there says that God created the world. And so he's talking about the physical world, the rivers, the rocks, the trees, the mountains, the oceans, all the things that we see. Physically, in this world, God created them. It can mean that. But it also can mean the world of humanity. We see that in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, we know in John 3, 16, he's not talking about the rivers and the rocks and the trees, is he? The rivers and the rocks and the trees don't have a soul. They can't believe. He's not talking about the physical world there. He's talking about the world of humanity. He's talking about men, women, boys, and girls. He's talking about each and every one of us. Jesus died for the world of humanity. And then we see another one. Uh, it can also mean the world system that is ungodly, that is against God and against his truth. And that's what he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. He also talks about it in several other places in Scripture. One of the most popular ones and one of my favorite ones is in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15. Let me read it to you. He says, love not the world. Now, when he says love not the world here, we know he's not speaking of the world of humanity because we are told to love people as Jesus loved people. Can you say amen? We are told to spread this gospel of Christ to every creature upon the earth. So we know he's not talking to the lost people in the world. What's he talking about when he says love not the world? He's talking about the world system, that which is ungodly, that which is against God and against God's truth. He says love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if any man love the world, that world system, the love of the Father is not in him. And so there is a world system. Do you see that at work today? I don't know about you, but I see it running rampant today in every area of our lives. Let me give you some attitudes and opinions of this world system. The world says, the world system, that which is ungodly and against God and against his truth, it says if it feels good, do it. Isn't that the idea that most people have today that are following after the world system? Absolutely. The attitudes and opinions that the world has, 
the ungodly attitudes and opinions. They're going to do what feels good to the flesh because they believe it's all about them. Don't matter how it hurts someone else. Don't matter how it impacts someone else. They're going to do what feels good to themselves. What's pleasing unto themselves. What's best for them. It's all about I in the world system. But let me share with you what Jesus says. What the Bible says. What God says. Jesus said to James and John, his two disciples in Mark chapter 10. Let's just flip over there. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark 10. I want you to see this tonight. Mark chapter 10, and let's look down at verse number 35. This is good stuff. Listen what happens. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Verse 36 says, And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand in thy glory. What they're saying is, Lord, when you set up your earthly kingdom, we want to be on your right hand and your left hand. We want to be the top cabinet members. We want to be the ones in control. Look at verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. You, can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink, indeed drink of that cup. Um, and with the baptism that I'm baptized with all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given for them whom it is prepared. Now he tells them, he says, guys, these are the ones who are going to be high ranking in my kingdom. Listen how he puts it, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. What he's saying is in the worldly kingdom, in the Gentile kingdom, those who have authority exercise their power as lords over others. They're at the top. Everybody else is at the bottom. Amen. That's the world system. Then he puts in verse 43, but so shall it be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, watch what he says. They got to be your minister. They got to be your servant. What's Jesus saying? He's saying my system's not like the world system. My kingdom is not like the world's kingdom. He said if you're going to be great in my kingdom, guys, let me tell you how to do it. You get great in my kingdom by learning to serve others. Why? Because, folks, listen, we show our love for God by our service to others. We serve God by our service to others. We talk about it all the time around here. We love God. We love people. We serve God. We serve people. We encounter God. We encounter people. That's our mission. That's our goal. That's what God has called us to. How many of you know, if you're going to be great in God's kingdom, you got to do it God's way. And God's way is being a servant to all. Amen. It's not trying to lord over somebody. It's loving people enough to serve them like Jesus served all us. So do you see how the world system conflicts with God's word? Do you see that great contradiction? Now the only problem is we're still living in the world. We just gotta, still got to deal with this stuff daily. But I got good news for you. Jesus said it like this. In this world you shall have tribulation. Amen. But you already said, be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Now listen. 
If he has overcome the world and I am in Christ and Christ is in me, then I too can overcome the world. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's already done for me. Praise God. You can overcome this world. You can cast down false imaginations and attitudes that come against the truth of God's word. And you should do that. You should do that. The world system, the, what, that which is ungodly, comes against us all as believers. But we can overcome, for he has overcome. Not only is the world our problem, but let me give you another one. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 2. He tells us something very plain. He says, when in time past you walked according to the course of the world. Now he says something else in the next part of this verse. According to the prince of the power of the air. Now when he's talking about the prince of the power of the air, who's he speaking of, church? Speaking of Satan himself. He's speaking of our enemy. The ones who comes against the saints. He said... Uh, the, 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 the spirit of the, or the, excuse, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We have an enemy. That enemy is continually doing everything he can to tear down what God wants to do through his body of believers. Now we're seeing God work here in our church. How many of you thankful for that? Amen. Amen. Me too. I said this morning we've had two people in two weeks give their heart to Jesus. We got in the car. Benny said, honey, you was wrong. It's three people in three weeks. And she's right. Well, praise God. We're seeing people come to know Christ as their personal Savior. Folks, there is nothing more blessed than that. There's nothing more important or powerful than that. We praise God for that move of the Spirit. Because that's what it takes. How do you know it takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for a man, woman, boy, or girl to be born again in the family of God? And so we praise Him for it. But I can tell you this. I'll promise you this. Anytime, anytime God is working like we've seen Him work, you can count on it. Satan is going to be working double time to tear down what God is doing. He will. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to read to you something. He describes Satan and, 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 and paints a picture of him that makes perfect sense to me. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Casting all you care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, watch this now, First Peter 5 and 8, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's walking to and fro, seeking whom he can chew up. Amen. I love the National Geographic channel. Uh, Discovery Channel, uh, Animal Planet. I love all those things. I watch them a lot um, from time to time. And I remember watching a video of how a lion stalks its prey. And these lady lionesses that are, are in this pride of lions, they're actually the one who does the hunting. And so what they will do, they, they will scope out a, a herd of antelope or, or, or whatever else their prey might be. And, and let me tell you something. There's only three, uh, usually three, maybe four of those um, lines that are going out to hunt and so they're not going to come against a herd of 150 antelope 
or 150 wildebeest. They don't act the way they work. What they do, they allow one of those that are sickly, one of those that are slower than the rest of the pack that's been separated from the herd, and then they'll come up and, and, and pounce on that one and have supper. I mean, that's how it works. Now, the Bible says Satan is just like a roaring lion. Now, how does he hunt us? Well, I'll tell you how he hunts us. He, allow, he wants us to get separated from the pack. How many know there's strength in numbers? You find your strength among the body of Christ. When you are plugged in to your local body of believers, you receive encouragement, you receive edification, you receive truth straight from the word of God that helps you overcome whatever attack the enemy might send for you. I'm thankful I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that I can, I can call upon any time and say, hey man, I'm struggling in this area. They'll pray for me. Praise God. Thankful for that. Hey, listen, there's certain areas in my life that I need you to pray with me about and pray for me about because I need God's help in this certain area. Well, listen, folks, that's what the body of Christ is for. The Bible says it like this in James chapter 5. Confess your faults one to another. And he says, pray for one another. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It makes a difference. We get that kind of relationship among our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it keeps us strong when the enemy comes to attack. Don't get out there as a straggler all by yourself and get separated from the body. Stay plugged into your local church. And you need that because Satan is going to do everything he can to devour you. To devour me. And nobody is above it. Not me, you, or anybody else. We have an enemy, a formidable foe. He knows what his business and he does his business well. He's been doing it for over 6,000 years. He's a deceiver. He's a liar and the father of lies. James chapter 4 and verse number 7, the Bible says of Satan, resist the devil and he will flee. Do you know that? He's got to flee if you'll resist him. Child of God, the enemy has no power over you. The only power the enemy has over you is what you allow him to have. But let me tell you why we don't resist Satan sometimes. I'm just going to get real with you. Let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. Satan tempts the flesh with what appeals to the flesh. And a lot of times we don't resist Satan and we don't resist his temptation because what we're doing appeals to this sinful flesh and we like it. So we don't resist. And then we're always talking about how, boy, Satan's really been on me. Well, listen, if Satan's been on you, get him off of you. You've got power in the name of Jesus. You can overcome. You are more than a conqueror through him that loves you. Romans 8, 37. A lot of times we don't resist because we don't want to resist. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4, write that verse down. Go back and read it. Look at it for yourself. It says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Satan's in this world and he's seeking whom he may devour, but greater is my Jesus in me and the person of the Holy Spirit than he that's in this world. You can overcome the attack of the world system. You can overcome the attack of our formidable foe, Satan himself. But then there's another problem. Ephesians chapter two and verse number three among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past. Watch what he says. In the lust of the flesh. What are the enemies 
of the child of God in fulfilling our purpose? Well, it's the world. This ungodly system that's against God and against his truth. It's the devil. And it's this old flesh. Now, when you see flesh in the New Testament, it can mean one of two things. It can mean flesh and bone. This flesh and bone that you see before you and I see before me, it can mean that. But most of the time, let me tell you what it means when it's talking about the flesh. In this instance, let me tell you what it means. It means that sinful nature that you were born with. God is not mad at our flesh and bone. God is not against our flesh and bone. But listen, God hates sin. And listen to me now. The sin that we find ourselves committing, those, listen to me, folks, get a hold of this, are just symptoms of the root cause. Let me ask you this. If you were walking around and you had um, a, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, you had a sore throat, you had a cough, somebody might say you had a what? You had a cold, absolutely. How do they know that? Because of the symptoms. Now, the sins that we commit while walking in this world, while living in this world, let me tell you what that's a symptom of. That's a symptom of the sinful nature that we were born with. When I was born into this world, into the family of Brian and Diane Price, let me tell you something. I was born with a sinful nature. If you don't believe me, ask my mom and daddy. I lived in their house growing up. I've come to find out now when my kids were born, they were born with a sinful nature for they were born with the seed of man. They were born with the seed of their father. And I want to tell you something. They came here needing a savior. They came here knowing how to lie, how to cheat, how to be selfish, how to take things that didn't belong to them. You don't got to teach a kid to do wrong. You got to teach them to do right. Why? Because of that sinful nature they were born with. And those sins that we find ourselves committing are simply symptoms of the root cause. Sin is a disease, a cancer that is killing this world. Now then, for the believer, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are born again into God's family. Amen. And we are born into his family receiving a new nature. Amen. Amen. A spirit nature. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God indwells the believer at conversion. Are you hearing me? The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that we are now the temple of God. God dwells in us. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He, I don't think he ever got over it. All throughout his writings, throughout his life, he just couldn't get over the fact that God lived in him. And you know what he said? He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's good. That's what we are. We're just flesh and bone uh, made of the dust of the earth. Earthen vessels. But inside the believer dwells the Spirit of God. And the moment you were saved, God indwelled you with His precious Holy Spirit. You became the temple of God. So we have these two natures now. We still got that old fleshly sinful nature that we once had. 
that we were born with physically, and then we've got this new spirit nature that we were born with, or that we were, we were given when we were born again in the family of God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 17, the Bible tells us the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. There's a constant tug of war in the believer. Anybody ever feel like that? As a believer, have you ever found it sometimes easier to tell a lie than tell the truth? As a believer, have you ever find it, um, listen, hard to do what you really know you should do? Absolutely. All of us do. I'm not going to turn over there tonight, but this week in your quiet time, I want you to go and look at it. It's in Romans chapter 7. The apostle Paul struggled with the same thing. And he put it kind of like this. He said, the things I want to do, I'm not doing them. And the things I don't want to do, things I hate, that's what I find myself doing. And you know what? Every time I read that, I want to say, amen, brother Paul. Preach it, brother. You sharing the truth tonight. Because <laughs> he is. I know what he's talking about. I've got a desire within me to please God. That came with that spirit nature. But there's also another nature within me going against the things of God. It's a struggle. But I got good news. We can overcome the world. We can overcome the enemy. And we certainly can overcome the flesh. We got to die to it, the Bible says. Dr. David Jeremiah is one of my favorite preachers. I love that brother. His ministry has blessed me greatly. But he says something that I love when speaking of the flesh. He puts it better than probably I've ever heard it put. He said those two natures that we now have, that sinful nature that is unpleasing to God and that spirit nature that was given to us at the new birth, those two natures are just like two dogs fighting inside us. And he said he learned a long time ago, the dog that you feed the most will always win. That's good. Think about that just a minute. If you continually feed this flesh, feed that sinful nature, how do you feed it? There's several ways. Sometimes we feed it through the eye gate. What we look at. Amen? I was reading a statistic just this past week that blew me away. 78% of people surveyed, men surveyed, in a recent survey said they had an addiction to pornography or at one time had an addiction to pornography. 78%. Let me tell you why. It's everywhere. A smartphone is one of the greatest tools that's ever been invented, but it's also a tool that the enemy uses from time to time. Amen. And when you've got on your smartphone access to millions of pornographic websites anytime, anywhere, that can be a great temptation. And many men and women 
are falling into that. It's a struggle of the flesh. You hear me? And what you feed the flesh, if you feed it more than the spirit, the flesh is always going to win. Right? Do you know what the best-selling book, Year Before Last, and the best-selling um, movie this year and last year among women 18 to 35 was? Fifty Shades of Grey. And let me say something to you. That is trash. Satan is using that to fool young women into believing that's what a man is when it's not what God says that's what a man is. Satan is using that trash to try and fool us into thinking that's what a real relationship looked like when that's not what God's word says. Listen to me. Be careful how you feed the flesh. Be careful. Feed the spirit and the spirit wins. Go to the book of Philippians and I'm done. Philippians chapter number four, verse number eight. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's what, what's what he says? Think on these things. Where do you find True things. Where do you find honest things? Where do you find just things? Where do you find pure things? Where do you find lovely things? Where do you find things of good report? Where do you find things that are virtuous? Where do you find things that are praiseworthy? Where do you find these things? I tell you where you find them. In God's precious word. In his love letter to you. Let me invite you to fall in love with the word of God. King David said it like this. He said of the, of the precepts of God, he said, Lord, I love your precepts. Teach them to me and I will live by them all the days of my life. He loved God's word. Folks, we need to be word lovers. I tell you how important it is for you to be here when we're having Sunday school, discipleship training, Bible study, worship time, let me tell you why that's so important. Because you're getting a hold of God's truth. And God's truth transforms you into what Christ has saved you to be. Why is it important daily you spend time in the Word of God? Hey, carve out, can you carve out 30 minutes in your day just to read the Scripture? Pray and ask God to speak to you. I can tell you, if you'll pray and ask God to speak to you and take that time to get in his word, he'll do just that. Feed the spirit. Starve the flesh. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
We're to reckon ourselves dead to the flesh, dead to the sinful nature, so that we might walk in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord. We can overcome if you do it God's way. Sister Tammy, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is that okay? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you was playing a song when I came in tonight. I came in a little early, went into my office, and I could hear peace in the valley. And boy, that just blessed me. I want you to come play that. Tonight, I'm going to pray for you. She's going to play for you. Then you'll be dismissed. Okay? Let me say this to you. I love you, church. Have a great week. And remember, we've been saved for a purpose. Go out this week and be Jesus at your workplace in your home, around your circle of friends. Make a difference in a lost and dying world. Man, it's good to be saved, isn't it? I'm so thankful. God allows us to be a part of what he's doing in this earth. Play for us.